Good morning again. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. This is our third week in these two verses, uh, third and final week in these two verses. And we are continuing in our study uh, of unity, our, our, our series on unity, and we've entitled it Eager for Unity because that is exactly where we should be. We should all be, be eager for experiencing the unity that Christ Jesus has purchased uh, for believers among believers. And that, that should be uh, in our families, that should be in our workplaces, and that should certainly be in our church. And so we are eager for unity. So far, uh, as we've studied unity from Ephesians uh, 4 and now chapter 5, we've, we've seen a handful of, of both attitudes and actions uh, that, that would help believers to, to live out and to experience this unity that Jesus has purchased. And over the last two weeks, as we've looked at Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2, we've seen that in order to fulfill those attitudes and actions that we saw in Ephesians 4, in order to fulfill those attitudes and actions, we need one major ingredient, and that is a heart of love for one another. A heart of love for one another. And we remember that that's not just feelings of love, although that, that should be there. It's not just feelings of love, but it should be a, a heartfelt choice that, that we choose to, to, to serve another, benefit another, and build them up. And that's what, what love is. It, it's choosing to, to bestow favor on another. And we saw uh, in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, that we are uh, to, to look at Christ and his example. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us. So he is our, our model. He's our example. But as we saw last week uh, as well, our hearts should be filled as well by this love. Jesus is not just our model uh, by, the, by the love that he showed. He's also the one who inspires us. He's the one who, who fills our hearts with such joy uh, at being loved by God that our hearts are overflowing and should spill over with love on those around us. And so last week, we, we took a lot of time to look in depth at this unbelievable, uh, undeserved, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ that, that, he, that he poured out for us on the cross, that he, that he took our sins. And we, we said, the more we, we look at that, at how undeserving we were of this love, yet how willingly he gave it, how far he went to give that love, that we should be filled with appreciation, filled with his love in our hearts. And that should pour out on others. And that's why we took such time looking at, at Jesus' love last week. But this week, I, I want to make sure that we aren't missing one major ingredient. One major ingredient, in fact, to the whole Christian life, uh, but, but definitely for love. This is, this is one element that, that should be at the forefront of our minds each time we're making that split-second decision. Am I going to love this person? Am I going to continue in love for this person? Or am I not? That, that missing element—I say missing because we just haven't talked about it much yet—that missing element is the glory of God. The glory of God revealed, the glory of God enjoyed— 
What I want to show you today is that our love for one another should be motivated by a desire to reveal the glory of God both to ourselves and to others, and it should be motivated by a desire to, to experience the glory of God. That, that is what we should do. And I think that that's true for several reasons. I'll just give you uh, real quickly, and we'll, we'll see this more as we go along. But one major reason I think that our love should, should be motivated by the glory of God is that everything we do as a Christian should be motivated by the glory of God, right? To, to reveal that glory, to experience that glory. I mean, just a couple verses. You guys will, will know these. Uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. He's here talking about sexual immorality, but we see a principle. He says, Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit uh, who you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Then uh, a little further in 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31, this is in context of talking about love for one another even. It says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, that, that's just a basic principle for all of our, our lives as Christians. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, all to the glory of God. So that means everything should be motivated. Everything should be motivated by a desire for God's glory to be shown and experienced, even and especially in the way that we love others. That's, that's one reason it's important. It's just a basic aspect of the Christian life. But I also think it's important because I, I think it's an ingredient that makes our love uh, really work, that makes it really effective in the life of the other person. I believe uh, without our love being motivated by the glory of God being revealed, it is a lesser love. It is, it is an, an incomplete love love. And again, I'll show you more of this as we, we go along. But then another reason I believe that is, I believe that without this motivation for God to be glorified, for God to receive the praise and the honor that he deserves, if that's not our motivation, we will quickly lose heart in loving other people. How many times have you said, you know what, I'm going to show them love but then they don't respond to your love the way you'd like them to. You know, things don't really play out the way you'd like them to. They're not reciprocating your love. And before you know it, you throw in the towel. You say, you know, I've, I've showed them enough love. I'll, I'll, I'll bear with them maybe. Uh, but I'm certainly not going to show them more and more favor. But as I want to show you today, when we are motivated by the glory of God being revealed and experienced, we can have that endurance. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look again at Christ's model of love, and we want to see what he is motivated by. I, I like to put my cards on the table lots of times in here, so I'll just tell you what my two points are going to be. Uh, my two points are going to be Jesus' love was motivated by the glory of God, and then number two is our love must be motivated by the glory of God. Pretty simple. But what I want to show you, and, and we'll get there, is why this is a good thing. This, this is, doesn't detract from that love. And I'll be honest with you, even before I read the verse and, and start digging in, uh, these are big subjects. These are weighty, weighty, weighty subjects that whole books and, and volumes are written about the glory of God, experiencing the glory of God, and revealing the glory of God, and how that's best for us. 
Um, <laughs> we're we're going to dip our toes in the water and, and hope that, that we, we get enough understanding. My, my fear is that I'll raise more questions in your minds than I answer, uh, so my prayer to God is that that won't be the case. So if you'd look in your Bibles with me, Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Uh, I'll just say before that, it was talking about this unity, the things we need to do to experience this unity. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray and ask God to, to bless uh, the, the, the study of his word. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see your truth today. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And God, I pray that that's exactly what would happen in our hearts today. God, I pray that we would see your glory in a whole new light today. And God, I pray that we would learn to love others for a whole new reason today if our motivation was possibly out of line, God. And God, we want to do this because you deserve the glory and you are most to be enjoyed. So God, reveal yourself in your word today. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So again, I'm, I'm just going to kick off, go ahead and get started by, by showing you from, from this passage and, and from other scriptures, that Jesus' love was motivated by the glory of God. A, a motivation to, to reveal the glory of God to us, and a motivation to even enjoy that glory of God. Although that's, it's hard when we talk about this sometimes with Jesus, because Jesus is God. I don't, I don't want to talk about him as though he is not God, uh, but we understand within the Trinity even there is a, a glorifying of one another, a praising of one another. Anyways, again, deep thoughts <laughs> that we don't have time for today. So where do I get from these verses that, that Jesus was ultimately, ultimately and mainly motivated by a desire to reveal the glory of God to the world? You know, we've already looked at these two verses, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, for the most part. You know, we've, we've looked at verse 1, how, how we're to imitate God as beloved children. We've looked at how Christ loved us. Again, we're supposed to imitate Him, walk in love as Christ loved us. But today, I want to look at that final phrase of the verse. He did this as, quote, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, as I was uh, studying these verses, I, I was even thinking, why did Paul even bother to put in that, that last phrase? It almost seems to, to interrupt the flow of thought. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Isn't that enough? We, we see the command two times, imitate God, walk in love. Uh, imitate God as beloved children, that's the motivation. We see um, walk in love as Christ, that's our, our model. So why does he bother to add this, this a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? 
How, and how does this show us that Jesus was motivated by revealing the glory of God? Well, again, we're going to have to put our thinking caps on here a little bit, and we're going to have to understand uh, some Old Testament uh, history that, that's been going on and that, that lays behind this. Paul uh, would believe that the people reading this letter would have a thorough understanding of, of Old Testament history and, and uh, the, the Israelites. So we need to remember that at this point, when Ephesians was written, uh, the Israelite people had been living under the law of Moses for about 1,500 years. And a main part of that law uh, was the sacrificial system. This was a, a provision God had given them uh, where they would um, slaughter, for lack of a better word, they would slaughter and then sacrifice, burn bulls, sheep, and birds, and, and just other things. They, they would have these sacrifices. Okay, so they'd place them on the altar. They'd sprinkle the blood on the altar. And they, they would burn those animals, those sacrifices. And if you were to read the, the book of Leviticus, we, we don't have too much time to go through it today, but you would see that, that, that much of this uh, ceremonial, uh, like as it's laid out, these ceremonies, it just gives over and over and over. It's a pretty repetitive book if you read it. This ceremony is laid out, and then they need to do this, then they do this, then they do this. But over and over again, you'll see in Leviticus um, a, a phrase that's used. It says it's burned, that there's this burning as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. These sacrifices are made as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That the idea there is God smells this, this the smoke coming off these offerings. He smells the smoke coming off these sacrifices, and it is a pleasing aroma to him. I'll just give you one for instance. Leviticus 1.9 and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You see that? It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that same language and imagery I counted uh, is actually used 17 times in the book of Leviticus alone, as well as in other books of the Bible. But in Leviticus, 17 times we see that it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And here we see in Ephesians 5, 2, that what Jesus did, his offering, his sacrifice, was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But what I want to point out to you is that Jesus' offering, Jesus' sacrifice, was far more fragrant to God. It was a much more pleasing aroma to God than those sacrifices of, of goats and bulls and sheep of the Old Testament. I'll give you two reasons. You guys just got to hang on with me on, on these things. I think it's important, and we're, we're going somewhere. Two reasons Jesus' sacrifice was more pleasing. First, those Old Testament sacrifices were but a shadow. Hebrews 10.1, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So the Old Testament sacrifices were a shadow, but Jesus' sacrifice was the reality. Th those Old Testament sacrifices were, were saying something needs to pay for our sins, right? The wages of sin is death, even in the garden. If you eat of that tree, you will surely die. 
Something had to pay for that sin. And so as a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice, these animals were sacrificed. The person would lay their hand on the head of that goat or that bull and they would kill it. Saying, you're taking my sin that I deserve and you're taking my death. It is a picture. It's a symbol. But as it says there, these could never make perfect those who draw near. Jesus, on the other hand, uh, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, it says this. This might just be more helpful. It says, And every high priest stands daily at his service, this is looking back to the Old Testament, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a foot, footstool for his feet. He didn't, he didn't have to continue this sacrifice. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus was not the shadow. He was the reality. He, he was the thing the shadow was pointing to. And so if, if by the blood of, of goats and, and the smoke of, of, of bulls and you know, uh, sheep, if God smelled that aroma and it was a pleasing to him, how much more so was the offering of Jesus Christ pleasing to God? So that's the first reason. The second reason more falls in line with what we're looking at today. The second reason is the sacro sacrificial system. I'm sorry. Start over. The second reason is Jesus' sacrificial offering more fully displayed the glory of God. Jesus' sacrificial offering more fully displayed the glory of God. I do think that the Old Testament sacrifices displayed the glory of God if they were done from a right heart. You know, we understand, uh, especially from uh, the, the prophets, that, that much of the offerings and sacrifices they did were from a wrong heart, and it was actually uh, not making God look glorious. It was making him look cheap, uh, like they could just go through the motions and he would, uh, you know, not be able to punish them. But the Old Testament sacrifices, when done from a right heart, showed that that person understood the weight of sin. That they had sinned against a holy God and they deserved punishment, right? It showed that because they were bothering to do this, this uh, ceremony that God had given them. And it actually showed that they not only understood their sin, but they understood the compassion of God and his desire and willingness to forgive them if they would but trust in him and that, that, and that their sin would be paid for. But up to this point, it was only the blood of bulls, goats, and, and sheep that had to be shed. But then we think about Jesus. So that's the Old Testament. It, was, it still glorified God. It was still a picture of God's holiness and God's love. But then we come to Jesus. He, instead of paying the price of, of a bull, pays the price of his own life. He really did uh, take on flesh. He really was mocked and beaten, and he really was put to death. And he did all of that willingly for our sakes. And no longer was it only a symbolic imputation of sins, a placing of the hands 
may this animal that doesn't know a thing about what's going on, by the way, may this animal take my sins. You know, that, that's a symbol. Jesus, his, his taking of our sins was not a symbol. The Bible says that he was made sin for us. He really did take on our sins. He really did take our condemnation, our guilt, and the wrath that we deserved. Jesus really did that. And as he did that, he put on a far greater display of the glory and of the love of God than the Old Testament sacrifices ever could. In that way, Jesus' love for us was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God was pleased because God was shown to be glorious. Uh, you think about it in this way. Um, I, I grew up uh, as a kid. We, we would take like trips, uh, uh, trips to Ohio. We'd go up to, to my grandpa. My grandpa's sitting over there. We'd take trips to Ohio. It was like 11 hours. And at some point, we got the great idea of getting a power inverter, you know, plug it in the outlet thingy so that we could plug a TV in in our car. And it was this little junky TV. I think it was black and white, and it's super pixelated. And we'd watch it, and, you know, you can hardly see what's going on. But we thought it was the greatest. That's the Old Testament sacrificial system showing the glory of God. Jesus, his, his sacrifice, his love is like the TV in Sonny's house. I don't know if you guys have seen that thing. It is incredible. Uh, high definition, brilliant colors, sharp pictures. That's what Jesus sacrificed. That's what Jesus' love is and showing the glory of God. Look at the brilliance of God's glory. That's what Jesus was doing. This was the most unbelievable, overwhelming, incredible love the world had ever seen, and it was glorious because it was God himself who is giving the love. And that is actually what Jesus was planning to do. It was not incidental that Jesus, uh, in his love, glorified God. Let me just tell you a couple of verses. Uh, Jesus is preparing to die for God's glory. In John 12, uh, Jesus says this, John 12, 27 and 28, he's praying. He says, now is my soul troubled. Now my soul is troubled, he's saying. I, I know what's going to happen. So now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? That's a rhetorical question. My soul is troubled. It's, it's difficult what I'm about to do. What am I going to say, though? Say, though, Father, save me? And he goes on to say, But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. For this purpose I have come. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. When was that going to happen again? It was going to happen on the cross. God was going to be glorified because his love, his, his uh, compassion, and his holiness would be on display. John 17, 1, this is uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer as, as this, his, his death is even more impending. He's getting closer. It says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. He, he wants 
God to show the glory of what he's doing. The sinless man taking on the sins of the world in love. He is offering up that perfect sacrifice for sin. More explicitly, uh, this, this is um, the verses directly after what Anna read this morning. Romans 15. Go, go there in your Bibles, would, would you? Go there in your Bibles. Romans 15, 8 and 9. Romans 15, 8 and 9. These are words that we, we just need to see. It says this, Romans 15, 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. I'll kind of break that down again. It says, Jesus became a, a servant to the circumcised, that is to the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness. He wants to show the glory of God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, it says. He wants to show that God keeps his promises, and then in verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That, that's why Christ came to die, so that he could show not only to the Jews, they're also seeing this, but even to the Gentiles. And if you go on to read there, it goes to show that it was foretold that Jesus would die even for the Gentiles. So he's doing this loving act that they might see God's glory and might glorify him for it. They might praise him for it. So we've seen now Jesus preparing to die. He says, God, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. We see even in Romans talking back, it says he came in order that they might glorify God. And we even see, you'll, you'll recognize these verses, in, in Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, it talks about how God will be glorified in the future based on what Jesus has done. Uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, the, the preceding verses had just talked about Jesus' humility, taking on flesh, and then being obedient to God even uh, to, to the point of death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore, based on all that, therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' humility, his sacrifice, his love was to be to the glory of God the Father for eternity. God was pleased with the sacrifice, the sacrificial love of Jesus because it most perfectly displayed his glory to the world in such a way that they could praise him for it. You know, we've been studying through Ephesians. Can you turn to Ephesians chapter 1? Again, I, I know these are common verses for us, that, and we've seen these same patterns many times, but I just want you to see this is a, a predominant pattern in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, and go to the very end of verse 4. If you look at the 5, verse 5, go back two words. It's starting a new sentence um, there at the end of verse 4. Ephesians 1, starting verse 4, in the uh, middle of it there. 
in love, so there's that love we're talking about, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So there's this love and it's, it's being poured out through Jesus Christ. Then it goes on to say, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we see there that God predestined us in love through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1, 11. Go to verse 11. This is talking about uh, the early believers, Paul and the disciples and the, the early believers there. It says, verse 11, In him we have, ta- we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Then, then go to verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Over and over and over again in the Bible, we see, and we probably skip over it, we see that God is to be glorified because of his amazing works that he has done on this earth. And so from that, I conclude that the main reason God was pleased by Jesus' sacrifice, and the main motivation, the ultimate motivation for Jesus showing this love to us, is that he wanted to clearly reveal to us the glory of God so that God would receive the glory, the worship, the praise that he is due. The main reason, the ultimate reason Jesus died on that cross was for the glory of God. Some of you uh, may, may be bothered by that. You say, well, did he, did he love me and that's why he died on the cross? Or was he trying to glorify God, and that's why he died on the cross, right? But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is that verse lying? We need to understand that the fact that Jesus died on the cross for the glory of God, the fact that he loved us for the glory of God, does not make in any way his love for us in any, any way, any less real or any less compassionate. It is not less love to show it for the glory of God, because it says there he, he's showing it for the glory of God. He, he's showing it, but he's still really showing love, right? God's demonstrating his love. He's showing his love for us. That's the whole point. He's putting how incredible, how real, how compassionate he is on display. That's the whole point here. In fact, I would say this. Jesus dying in love in order to show the love of God is actually more loving than it would be for him to just, just do it. Just, just to do it. Just do it for love's sake, right? It's like, that's why we are good around Christmas time. Oh, be good for goodness sake. You know, people say that. We say, well, we should love for love's sake. We should love with no ulterior motive. But that's misunderstanding something about God. That's misunderstanding something about us. 
And that is that we were made for God's glory and we were made to enjoy God's glory. We were made, we were created, we were custom fabricated, custom made by God to enjoy God and to worship Him. We were made for His glory. First, I would say, I don't have a verse for this or anything, but God is most glorious. He is the most glorious being, the most glorious thing in the universe. Nothing comes close, and we were created for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, you don't have to go there, I'll just tell you. It says, this is speaking to Israel, by the way, directly to Israel, but we understand that Christians are, are drawn into God's chosen people. He says, and everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We were created for God's glory. And that means we were created to, to worship God, to praise Him. This doesn't make God more glorious. He already is glorious. It is to give Him glory. That's just another way of saying to give Him praise, to see that He is glorious, and to worship Him for it. That's what we were made to do. And because He made us that way, because that was His desire for us to, to give Him uh, that worship for us to see that and give him that worship he also made it to where it was our greatest enjoyment we find our deepest and greatest joy in glorifying god just think about it you guys know these things psalms uh, 37 4 delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart we have all these heart desires longing for all these things and we go about life in search of what could possibly make us happy. Maybe it will be more money. Maybe it will be new relationships. It says right here, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because your heart was made to enjoy His glory. Your heart was made to worship Him for His glory. Philippians 4, 4, just again, this is actually in the context even of uh, a, a conflict going on between Euodia and Syntyche. And he says, I want them to get along. And here's his prescription for them to get along. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. You know what will help you guys get along? If you would rejoice in the Lord. If you would see him, see his glory. If you want to give him glory, if you would make that your greatest desire, not winning this argument, not getting whatever you want out of this conflict, if you would make that your desire, your, your, your motive in life, then you'd let this argument go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I could give you uh, some stupid examples. I was thinking I, I, uh, I almost always have like a screwdriver and some other things in my truck, but I never have every tool that I need. So when I end up, you know, needing to work on something, my screwdriver kind of becomes a, a, a do-it-all tool, you know. Uh, you can use it, believe it or not, as a scraper. You can scrape things off with it. You can use it as a pry bar. Um, I often use my screwdrivers as a hammer. But in general, it doesn't do a very good job at those things. And it's not very good for the screwdriver, you use it as a pry bar, you bend it. You use it, you use it as a scraper, you round off the corners. You use it as a hammer, and you, you ding it up. You might break the shaft out of the, the handle. Uh, you, know, you know why that happens? Why my screwdrivers get broken and why they uh, you know, don't really do the job very well? Because that's not what they're made for. Screwdrivers were made for something else. You know what that is? Tightening and loosening screws. 
If I use my screwdriver to tighten and loosen a, a screw, it does magnificent. In the same way, you and I were made not, not to do all these other things that we pursue. We were made to glorify and enjoy God. When we do that, that's, that's when we thrive. When Jesus, let me just try to sum this up for you. When Jesus put the love of God the Father, the love of God the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit on display on the cross, right? Because God the Father had to send His Son. Jesus had to really die. The Holy Spirit has to really apply that. When He put that on display, He was being more loving to you because He was giving you the thing that you really need, namely the glory of God. He was being more loving to you than if he just, uh, you know, forgave your sins. He was being more loving because he's putting God's glory on display, the thing that you most need to be satisfied. Your, your, your greatest responsibility even in life is to glorify God. And he put that glory on display in an incredible way on the cross. And so it is actually more loving for you. And God receives the glory that he is due. It's a beautiful thing that he's done. It is more loving that Jesus go to the cross for the glory of God. Yes, it was true love for you. And yes, that love was truly motivated by the glory of God. And that is good for us. But what does that mean for us? How do we respond? Because we're not just looking at what Jesus did. We're saying... We're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for, uh, up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, so we need to see, well, how do I do that? How does my life become a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? Well, I believe it is in the same way Jesus did. Our love must be motivated by the glory of God. Our love must be motivated by the glory of God. We saw, yes, we have to choose. Yes, it, it has to be sacrificial love, even when the person's undeserving. But all of that should be motivated by the glory of God. And what that means is, it is entirely possible for us to, to show love for the wrong motivations, and it actually be, be sin, even. Because we're to do all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And so we're able to love for the wrong reasons. The Bible gives many. I'm not going to give you verses for all of these. Uh, but, but oftentimes, we love people in order to gain something from them. Right? We, by the way, that, that goes by another name. It's called manipulation. It's called partiality. James talks about that. Here, have this seat. Uh, here, have this, have this nicest seat in, in the, the temple, you know. He's really just trying to get something out of this rich guy in James. Sorry, I've just got that playing in my head. So we're, we might be, you know, showing love outwardly, but really we're just trying to butter them up. <laughs> we, we want something out of them. Maybe we're showing love because we want to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel good. Who doesn't want to feel like a loving person? Maybe we're showing love because we want to look good in front of other people. Um, anyway, 
I, I've heard it said many, many times, uh, people will say, you know, I, I see my dad or I see my husband out in public, and it's weird because when he comes home, I don't recognize him anymore. It's, it's not the same guy. Why? Well, because he's, he's maybe loving out in public, but he's just doing it for others to see. So we can love for the wrong reasons. And this one is, is difficult because it's not a bad motivation. But oftentimes we love, and it's, it's just an insufficient motivation if we are loving only to get a good response from the other person. Again, we talked about this. They're not reciprocating, you know. I, I'm showing them all this love over and over again, and they're not showing me any love back. Maybe it's, I want a good response because I want, I want my marriage to be better. I want my, my, my family to be better, my church to be better. And those are not bad things. They're, they're not. But when, when all of that is not motivated by, by God being glorified, by His glory being revealed, then it's an insufficient love. We can have wrong motivations. We need our lives to be to be motivated by by pleasing god by glorifying god by god's glory being shown to the world deciding whether or not to read these verses this is this is just not a new concept um in the same way let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John fifteen eight. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Those were just general. Now let's focus in on love. Does this ever, do we ever see this uh, for love? That we be motivated by the glory of God. Again, we already looked at this, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. You know, if you, I just wanted to tell you, once again, the context here is, is Paul is urging that the Jews and the Gentiles, who have very different backgrounds, uh, to, to, to submit to one another. That they wouldn't do things to offend one another. That in, specifically in matters of, of food and drink. Is it okay that we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Is it okay that we, we drink wine that has been used in one of these ceremonies? And Paul says, you know, whatever you do, whatever you do to show love, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, if you're trying to glorify God, you're trying to love them, then you're going to do the right thing in that instance, he says. So, so don't just you know, sacrifice your freedom in Christ because uh, you're supposed to. Don't just even love them because you're supposed to. Love them because God's glory can be put on display. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Anna read this passage earlier, Romans 15, 1 through 7. And with what we've talked about, listen carefully because it's all in here. <clears throat> Romans 15, 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's a big part of relationships, isn't it? Loving relationships, bearing with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Right? That's love. We said it's, it's giving, it's a showing favor, it's doing something for them. Verse 3, our model for Christ did not please himself 
But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's talking about the cross. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. He wants you to live in this harmony in accord with Christ Jesus. Verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I I want you to, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do do you see how explicit that is? That our our motivation is to be for the glory of God? 1 Peter 4, this is one last example I'll give you. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11, he says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, a good, stu- as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? That in everything God may be glorified. I hope you see that. This is a very plain teaching of Scripture that that, that we are to live and love with the motivation of God's glory being shown. You know, I think about how God's glory is shown in our lives, and it's difficult because there are nice non-Christians. There are friendly non-Christians, but I, I don't like the pre-Christian me. <laughs> I don't like the pre-in-love-with-God's-glory me. And so when, when I love other people, truly like Christ loved, not, not loving people who can pay me back, not loving people who, who will pat me on the back for it, but loving sacrificially to undeserving people, it shows that there's a change that has taken place in my wicked heart. That, that it has been cleansed, it has been purified by what? By the love and the blood of Jesus, this perfect sacrifice. God's love is put on display. You just think back to that verse. Let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you show this type of supernatural love, motivated by the glory of God, you're putting his glory on display. You're saying, it is worth it to me to love you because God is so glorious, even when it's difficult. I I really do love you, but my highest love is God. He is my glory. He is my delight. And it's an interesting thing because there are some, some amazing uh, results of this. There are some amazing outcomes. It really is better to love people for the glory of God. The first reason I see that is it leads to sanctification, both for you and hopefully for that other person. 
as we, we seek and we, we display the glory of God, we actually get to see the glory of God. And other people get to see that glory of God, and we become more like Him. Listen to this. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. So as we, we seek to show God's glory, we get to see that glory, we get to be changed by it, and hopefully the other person as well. And so it is actually in that way more loving to them that you're showing them the glory of God because that is the thing they most need is the glory of God of God. Yes, it's still genuine love. Yes, it is still genuinely uh, wanting to, to the things that are best for them. But ultimately, we know the best thing for them is that they see the glory of God. I think uh, in addition to this, it helps us to, to persevere in showing love. When you think about it, your, your new goal in loving people, let me back up. How do you quantify, how do you know if you have accomplished uh, your task when you love a person? Well, when, when the old motivation was simply, well, I want to show them love, it's, it's hard to quantify that because it all depends on how they respond to that love, right? Well, okay, they, they didn't feel love. You think of uh, the love languages. I showed the wrong language of love and they didn't feel it. And so, man, that was wasted love. I, I showed them love, and they just have a hard heart, and so that was wasted love. But think about this. When your goal, your motivation is for God's glory to be put on display, God to be worshipped by your love, you're going to nail it every time. It doesn't matter how they respond. That's up to them, right? Paul says, uh, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So far as it depends on you. You can't control them, how they respond, whether or not they ask for, you know, uh, receive forgiveness or, or apologize or, you know, you can't, you can't help whether or not they'll be reconciled to you. You can't help those things. But what you can help is, am I doing this for the glory of God? And, and am I displaying the glory of God? I should have uh, grabbed some of these verses, uh, but over and over in Scripture, it talks about when... when that, that our, our conduct in front of uh, the sinners, our conduct uh, should be good so that it, it will shame them when they, when they treat us badly. It talks about putting ashes on their head, and that's some weird imagery, but it talks about it, it shames them when they see, you know, I'm treating them badly, but they're actually showing me love, and it shames them and hopefully shames them uh, to Christ and allows this conviction to happen of, you know, something is different about them. Even the, the verse, um, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Why are they asking for that hope? Why, why are they asking about the hope within you? Well, because you live differently, especially under trials. And one good way to do that would be to show love even when it's difficult. And when our goal is to glorify God and we're accomplishing that each and every time we show love, whether or not the other person responds well, we can persevere in it. 
Don't grow weary in doing good. You'll receive the reward for what you've done. God is being glorified. He's watching. He is your your true uh, uh, audience. You can persevere in love. You can obviously hope and pray that the other person does respond well. I'm, I'm not saying that we put that out because that's not true love. I'm saying that that true love is motivated by the glory of God. And I even think about the way it should make us radically loving. Radically loving. Uh, One of the verses, I may have told you guys this before, but one of the verses that I saw in Scripture that most confused me one time was Romans 12.10. It says this, Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. And I used to think, that's so weird because that sounds competitive to me. And since when is competition that, you know, between one another, between believers, when is that a good thing? But his point there isn't that it's a competition to win. His point is that we're outdoing them. It is expected of us that we go above and beyond what is deserved in our love. Why? Because the whole point of it is to show the glory of God. It's not to remain even with people. Well, they've shown me this much love, so I'll show them this much love. No. When you're pursuing the glory of God, it is our joyous responsibility to outdo them in showing love. Did God outdo us in showing love? Did he? Before he changed my uh, rebellious heart, I, I did nothing but give him hatred, animosity. Yet he outdid us in showing love. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His glory is put on display. His love is given. We get to enjoy that. And in the same way, we can be generous givers of love because our goal is for God to be glorified in our hearts and minds. And again, think about this. When your, your desire is to see God glorified, and you, you're praying, God, God, help me to glorify you. Help my, my love to be motivated by your glory. God, I pray as I do this act of love, generous as it may be, crazy as it may look, God, please let your glory be put on display. Do you think he'll do it? Ask anything in my name. Uh, man, I have to find these <laughs> verses again. It says here, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. God wants to show his glory. Ask him, and he will show his glory. And again, this is what you were created to do. Custom made to do. Far more than my screwdriver isn't a very good hammer. We are not good for, for worshiping things other than God. But just like my screwdriver is good, but even far more at, at tightening and loosening screws, we are good for worshiping God. We thrive when we're worshiping God. I say we're good. We're not good at it in and of ourselves. It takes God's strength to help us do that. And so I hope you see this flow here. Jesus showed this love. We're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. His love was motivated by a desire to reveal God's glory by his sacrifice. That's good for us 
because his glory is the thing we most need revealed to us and we should love the same way motivated by god's glory we will always hit the mark we'll always uh, show his glory no matter how the other person responds and we actually get to enjoy god's glory in the doing of it we actually get to enjoy god's glory in, in the doing of it go to john 15 with me this is a verse i just, I just always hit this john 15 11 where we'll start John 15 11 he says this well how about we go, go to John 15 10 we could go all the way up but we'll, we'll start in John 15 10 Jesus says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love verse 11 this is so important these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, now listen, see the, look at the connection between verse 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Now, then go to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So you have this keeping commandments, makes us abide in his love. This makes our joy be full. And then look at verse 12, very next verse. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There it all is. You want to abide in my love. You want to abide in my glory. But to do that, you need to obey my commandments. Here is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. And as you do that, your joy will be full. His joy will be in you and your joy will be full says verse 11. So the question comes with this knowledge, do I believe it? Do I believe that God is more to be desired than gold and silver uh, as we sung uh, this morning in the songs? Do I believe that, that God is better than life? If you don't believe it, then you'll continue in, in the same unloving, at least untrue uh, loving patterns. But if you believe that God really will fulfill the desires of your heart, if you believe that he really is the most glorious thing, the most beautiful thing to be beheld in all of his works and power and attributes, if you believe that, then you'll show love motivated by God's glory being put on display. There is a God right now who is inviting you to take part in his glory. He's saying there's this glory within the Trinity. Come on in. Glorify me the same way I glorify the Son and the Son glorifies me. Let's be a part of it. Enjoy me the same way I enjoy the Son and the Son enjoys me. Enjoy me. You are made for this. But you have to show love for my glory. His love reveals glory. Our love should reveal his glory. And all of it should be to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray.